Chapter 27 I began to morph the grizzly bear, but then I stopped. We needed raw power. Truck-style power. You guys may get a little cramped, I warned. I'm gonna get big. I began to morph the elephant. It's funny with morphing. It's like choosing your weapon in an old-time duel. In the old days, two guys would insult each other. Then they would arrange through their friends to settle the matter. The person who was challenged would get his choice of weapons. They'd go off early one morning, very civilized, with all the proper ceremony, and sword fight or shoot each other. Pretty much like some people do today, only nowadays the duelists always seem to slaughter some innocent bystanders. But that's a little of what it's like. I was going into battle. Which weapon should I choose? I liked the bear because it was so utterly powerful and destructive. But in this case, the elephant morph was the proper weapon. And just like one of those old-time, early-morning duels, I had plenty of time to think about being scared. I began to change. I began to get large. My legs thickened to become telephone poles. My arms thickened even more, and the weight of them made me fall forward. My fingers and toes disappeared, leaving behind only thick, bony nails. I realized I could see something flapping around my head, flapping like someone shaking a sheet out of the dryer. It was my ears, growing thin and huge. My face bulged outward. It was as if someone were blowing up my head like a balloon. My eyes moved apart, spreading further and farther, blurring my vision. My nose melted with my upper lip and began to grow like some nightmare Pinocchio. It grew till it wasn't a nose anymore, but a rope, a cable, a massive octopus tentacle so strong I could rip trees out of the ground. I was monstrous, towering huge above Marco and Cassie and her wolf morph. My back pressed against the roof. My sides shoved crates and boxes aside. Marco, look out! I yelled, and Marco dropped the dracon beam trying to get out of the way. Because at that moment, my teeth ground and cracked and suddenly sprouted. Out, out, out from my mouth they grew, forming two long, curved tusks. If Marco had stayed where he was, he'd have been impaled. Marco, get the dracon beam. You dropped it. Your fingers are the only ones that can work it. Dropped it where? Under you? Great. He crawled awkwardly beneath my bulging gray stomach and emerged with the dracon beam in his fist. Okay, I said. Right for the oatmeal shed. No stopping. Ready? Ready, Cassie said. You know, Drake was right. You just never hear about oatmeal being involved in any of the great battles of history, Marco observed. Yeah, whatever, I said tersely. Come on. I didn't have to do much to go through the back wall of the pantry we were in. I just leaned forward and pushed my head against the wall. My head alone weighed more than half a ton. It was a serious battering ram. Crunch! 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 Down came the wall. Down came half the roof on my back. Out we barreled. An elephant, a wolf, and a lumbering gorilla. The shed was thirty feet away. No more. Not even two body lengths for me. One, two, three steps, and I was there. The two Hork-Bajir yelled and almost ran. But then they held their ground. I had to admire that. Go to the zoo sometime. Take a good, long look at an African elephant, and imagine that thing charging for you. 
See how long you'd want to stand there. Slash! A lightning-quick swipe with an arm blade, and I had a bright red line in my trunk. It was just a shallow cut, but it hurt. I screamed. I kept my speed and plowed straight into the hork Bajir. Ten thousand pounds of fast-moving elephant. The brave hork Bajir controller was out of the fight. No time to stop. I saw Marco and Cassie take down the other hork Bajir. Two more hork Bajir coming! Cassie yelled. I backed up a few feet and slammed forward. I hit the shed with my head. Wham! The four walls of the shed literally blew outward, like someone had set off a bomb inside it. The walls burst outward from the impact. The roof fell and then slid aside. A blue barrel, like a beer keg, rolled away. A piece of debris stopped it. There were five other barrels, all standing there in a group. The oatmeal, I said. The instant maple and ginger oatmeal, Marco corrected gleefully. Get them! A huge thoughtspeak voice roared. The voice of Visser Three. I turned my head to look. An entire army of hork taxons, and human controllers was rushing for us. There was no way out. No way at all. And there, in the midst of the onrushing army, was Visser Three. I wrapped my trunk around one of the barrels of confiscated oatmeal. I lifted it up like a feather. I saw the closest hork hesitate. I threw the barrel in a high arc. It landed with a big, soggy splash right in the middle of the yerk pool. It's not sinking! Cassie cried. Marco, point the dragon beam at the barrel. Now! The big gorilla raised his mighty arm and aimed the dragon beam at the barrel. Your move, Visser, I said. Chapter 28 Stop! That awful voice roared. And every living thing stopped. They barely breathed. A hork stood poised, as if they'd been frozen. When the visor said stop, you stopped. Period. He came forward, pushing human and hork and taxon aside. He came forward till nothing separated him from us, except a shield of three straining, awkwardly frozen hork and a twitching taxon. His andalite stalk eyes swept from side to side, sizing up the situation. His main eyes looked right at me. There is nothing in that barrel but garbage. Then you won't mind if my friend fires and blows it up. It was always deadly dangerous talking to Visser Three. In addition to an andalite's body, he had an andalite mind under his evil control. He might figure out that I was not an andalite in morph, but a human. He laughed. Not a nice laugh. There are perhaps a thousand yurks in that pool. The... The product in that barrel might affect half of them before we could get it cleared up. Five hundred yurks. He paused to consider. And against that, I suppose you want your fellow terrorists released and a chance to escape. Exactly, I said. Marco still held the dracon beam aimed at the wallowing barrel. Then I'd better give you my answer, Visser Three said with silky menace. Before he could say it, I knew. I'd seen it in his eyes, in his body language. He was writing off five hundred of his own people, condemning them to madness. He didn't care. 
It would be a setback, but that was all. Beyond that, he didn't care. Visser 3 cared for nothing. Oh, wait. Visser 3 did care about one thing. No time to think. No time to plan. I surged forward suddenly, just as Visser 3 was saying, DESTROY THEM! I surged my five tons forward, trunk outstretched. Visser 3 leapt back, right into a taxon who was following orders by freezing. I plowed through the hork and reached for the Visser. My trunk went around his upper body. Thwap! His andalite tail slashed. Missed! I squeezed my trunk, flexing the muscles in my neck and shoulders, and up went the Visser. I yanked him up off the ground. Thwap! He slashed again, and this time I bellowed in pain. The blade had hit the right side of my face. It nearly cut right through one eye. The agony was unbearable. But I couldn't hesitate. I lifted the Visser high in the air. I heaved him, just as he slashed again. Through the air he flew. Visser 3 hit the Yerkpool. I was reeling in pain. Pain like nothing I'd ever imagined. Oh no, Rachel! Cassie cried. I ignored her. No time for pain. No time. I had to play this out. Fortunately, I knew just a little about Andalite physiology. See, they eat and drink through their hooves. Right now, the Visser was absorbing the water of the York pool. I glared with my one remaining eye at the Visser, floundering in the pool. Now do you care if we blow up that barrel? I asked him. Now do you care? Chapter 29 It turned out yes. Yes, he cared. Visser Three would sacrifice hundreds of his fellow Yurks to the oatmeal madness. After all, it was war, and sacrifices had to be made sometimes. But those sacrifices obviously did not include him. I kicked the rest of the barrels into the pool, just so Marco couldn't possibly miss. Then Cassie went off to free the others. The hork the taxons, and the human controllers were still busy being very, very still. If any of them had shown initiative, they could have probably taken us out. They might well have been able to get Marco before he could hit one of the barrels. But you know what? Terrified underlings never show initiative. The Yurks there may have hated us, but they were terrified of Visser Three. We freed Jake, Tobias, and Axe. Then we headed, very carefully, for one of the exits. We climbed the stairs backward, with Marco pointing the dragon beam the whole way up. Only because of Tobias did we see what happened next. Hidden behind my massive, pain-racked bulk, he demorphed. Halfway up that interminable stairway, he resumed hawk shape, and it was his hawk vision that saw. He's morphing! The Visser! He's halfway morphed! He's getting out of his andalite shape, taking on some form that won't absorb the water, Jake said. Then the stupid oatmeal won't bother him. He'll come for us. How far along is he? Axe demanded. Can't tell, Tobias cried. He's going under! He's submerging! I glanced up the stairs. A long way still to go. And I was weak from my injuries. Yet I couldn't demorph and reveal that my true shape was human. Plenty of time for Visser 3 to come popping up out of the water in one of his vile, alien morphs and come for us. 
We were weak and exposed on the stairs. I was practically out of the fight. Jake was still a bat. No way to win if he managed to come after us. Marco has to shoot, I said. I looked at Cassie and Tobias to see if either of them would object. He's not leaving us any choice, Tobias said grimly. He hopped over to sit on Marco's shoulder. You're aiming high, he said. A hair lower. Lower. Fire. Far below us, one of the floating barrels went boom. A gray substance like confetti exploded out and settled in the water. That should keep them busy, Tobias said. Let's bail. It was pandemonium down in the yurk pool. Hork-Bajir and humans and Texans all rushing around, trying to haul their viscer out of the water, trying to scoop up the madness-inducing oatmeal before it could dissolve completely. Then I fell over. I didn't waver or stagger. I just fell over. Five tons of sagging elephant flesh splayed out across a dozen stone steps. Demorph! Jake yelled at once. Cassie rushed over, helpless to do much with her wolf paws. It's the loss of blood! She's passing out! Rachel, you have to demorph! He's up! Tobias yelled. He's out of the water! Oh man, what the... Axe, what is that thing? I don't know, Axe admitted. It's no creature I've ever seen before, but it looks extremely dangerous. I was demorphing as fast as I could. You guys get going, I'll catch up. Yeah, right, Rachel, Cassie said. It's like some kind of paradoctal, almost, Jake said. Like one of those flying dinosaurs, only it's covered in quills all over its back. Jake was demorphing. I was demorphing too. Too slowly. And all we have is a monkey and a wolf, I yelled. You guys run. You can pick up Jake and run. A monkey? Marco said archly. You know, I almost could run off and leave you. You have more than a gorilla and a wolf, Axe said calmly. You have an endolite. I was shrinking all the while, and as I became less elephant and more human, the pain began to diminish. I could feel strength returning. But I was still so tired. Could I morph again? I have to report that there are hork coming down the stairs toward us, Axe said. He was the only one of us who'd been looking in that direction. It helped to have four eyes. Great, Jake snapped, human again. We're trapped, and here he comes. I turned my now-human head toward the sound of vast, leathery wings. I saw something that might have been a winged porcupine, only the quills were each five feet long. Its head was elongated forward and back. The beak itself was another five feet. It flew slowly, with great effort, but it was coming closer. My heart sank. Had he seen us in our human bodies? I turned my head to look up the stairs. The hork bajir were a hundred feet away, pounding down on us. We were trapped. No time to morph, even. Trapped! The stairway entered solid rock and earth, just ten feet upward. The visitor's monster wouldn't be able to fly in there. But if we ascended that far, we'd run right into the hork bajir 
I looked at Cassie, my best friend. I guess I wanted to say something meaningful. And that's when it hit me. Give me the Dracon Beam! It's not going to stop that... that thing! It's armored all over! Nothing will stop that thing! I didn't have time to argue. I snatched the Dracon Beam from Marco. I turned and plowed up the stairs, right for the Horkbajir. Follow me! But... just come on! Up we ran. The distance between us and the Horkbajir closed at a startling rate. The monster was coming on fast. Everyone down! Cover your heads! Mole! I screamed. Mole! And I raised the dragon beam straight up, aimed it at point-blank range, right up at the hanging rock and dirt roof. I thumped the power switch and squeezed the trigger, and the entire world fell down on me. Chapter 30 I wasn't crushed by a rock. I was glad for that. I was smashed and banged up pretty good. And, oh, was I scared. Buried alive. It had actually happened. I'd even made it happen. Buried alive under rock and dirt and struggling hork But what can you do when you're buried alive? You can either sit there screaming in blind, idiot panic, or you can dig your way out. At least, if you're a mole, you can. I was worried about Cassie and Marco. They'd both still been in Morph, so they had an extra phase to pass through before they could become moles again. But wolves and gorillas aren't easy to kill. We all morphed and dug our lonely tunnels upward. It took a long time. I had to stop and hollow out enough space to demorph to human so I didn't end up trapped in mole morph. Talk about wanting to scream. But on the second round, I emerged into the bat cave. It took another hour for all of us to get there. We'd meet up in the absolute darkness, one by one, then in a small, edgy, worried group. Tobias was the last to arrive. You scared us to death! Where have you been? I yelled at him. I was worried about you too, Rachel, he said with a smile in his silent voice. Finally, we morphed into our bat shapes, exhausted beyond all belief. I could have just lain down there in the eternal darkness and slept for a week. And then, just as we were echolocating around, looking for the exit, the strangest thing happened. The entire cave came alive. In a slow-motion rush, all the bats began to drop their grip on the rock roof. They dropped, opened their wings, fired their echolocation sounds, and took off. Must be sundown, Cassie said. Yeah, but sundown of which day, I muttered. We exploded from the cave. Maybe a hundred thousand bats. Maybe a million. Who can count that many bats? We headed for home, too exhausted even to make dumb jokes, or laugh, or be happy we had survived. But as tired as I was, there was one thing I wanted to do. Maybe I have a soft spot for lunatics. After all, if I ever told anyone what my life was like, I'd be in a rubber room so fast I'd get whiplash. When I was done, I flew home and demorphed in my room. I went downstairs as calmly as if I'd never left. Where exactly have you been all day, young lady? My mother demanded. But just then, the phone rang. My mother took the call. She listened and kept saying, What? She said, What? About nine times, 
each louder than the time before. Then she sat down and stared at Sarah and Jordan and me. What is it? I asked. It's my client, poor Mr. Edelman. She shook her head like she was trying to clear something away. He escaped from the institution. The knot house? Jordan asked. He's gone. Ran away. But what's bizarre is how it happened. They're claiming a grizzly bear calmly walked in, knocked the doors down, and then told the man in some kind of psychic way? I mean, you have to envision a talking grizzly bear. A psychic talking bear told the man. She checked the note she'd written down. Told him to leave, get out, but not to do anything dumb like trying to hurt himself because the bear had had a really lousy day and didn't want to have to save him again. Jordan and Sarah stared at my mother like she was crazy. Hey, I'm not the one who claims to have seen all this, my mother said defensively. I shrugged. Bunch of nuts, I said dismissively. I mean, come on, a grizzly bear, right? It wasn't much. I couldn't really help Mr. Edelman. No one could. But some of the time, his own human mind was in charge. And during those times, in between the mad ravings of the Yurk, I wanted him to be free. The doorbell rang. It's Marco, Jordan sang. She thinks he's cute. Tell him to go away, I yelled back. I'm tired. Jordan reappeared a few moments later. She was carrying a huge stack of small boxes. Your friend Marco says his dad is making him get rid of all this stuff. She dumped the boxes of maple and ginger oatmeal all over the kitchen table. That was the end of the first and only great battle ever to involve oatmeal. And by the way, if you ever see some poor, mad, deranged gentleman wandering the streets and raving away about things that live in his head, well, if you can handle it, give the man your spare change. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel, and we have done it. We have knocked down another book. I hear Scholastic is coming out with another batch of audiobooks, but guess what? They're only going up to number 15. Well ahead of the game. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, yeah, so thank you for listening. I have a very cool email here uh, from Jessica. Uh, of the Femme de Tale podcast. Uh, she wrote in, Hi Daniel, sorry for the longish, e- longish email, and I'm going to um, abbreviate this slightly because I don't, uh, some of this stuff is, is you know, like a song list and things like that. But uh, she writes in, I hope you're doing okay in general, especially given all the things going on in the USA at the moment. I think it's been a big slash scary year for a lot of people. It sure has, um, but I'm holding in there. Thank you. Uh, she says, I've been meaning to contact you for ages to say a few things. One, thank you. Thanks for making the podcast. I am an early 90s baby, but somehow missed the Animorphs bandwagon as a youngin. So I'm listening slash reading for the first time. 
Having an easily available audiobook for it is amazing, and I listen when when commuting to work, walking the dog, cleaning the house, etc. As someone who has done paid voice work in the past, you're doing super well. Thank you so much for saying that. Uh, I'm always a little... Uh, maybe imposter syndrome is the right word for it. I don't know. Not confident in, in my voice work. I've There is a plane flying over my house right now. It's very loud. Anyway, um, I don't know. I've, I've always felt my my voice has kind of a limited range. I, I can't really do accents. Um, so uh, voice voice work something I'm a, I'm a little self-conscious about. I guess I don't I know I've made, you know, 180 episodes, 17 books worth of audio using voice work at this point, but uh, it's it's good to hear that validation. Thank you for for saying that. Uh, I appreciate that. And thank you for listening and enjoying. I appreciate that as well. Uh, she also gave me a song list. Uh Thank you. Uh, oh, I forgot to write this when I replied to her in my email because um, there were some logistics things I wanted to talk to her about. But uh, she gets a shout out for mentioning My Alien by Simple Plan. I was obsessed with Simple Plan in middle school. Favorite band, hands down. Uh, that's a throwback. <laughs> well done. Um, and then, uh, yeah, she is Australian and has offered her services if I ever need uh help with the voice work for the Australian characters uh, that happened way down uh, later on the series. And guess what? I do. You honestly have, all of you do not have any idea the like whoosh of relief that came out of my mouth when I read that line because I have been um, probably unnecessarily overly stressed because uh, this is still years down the road, I think. But I've, I've been so stressed about the idea of what I'm going to do when they end up in Australia, because I cannot do an Australian accent at all. You, y'all heard me try to do a Southern accent and how that went. Australians just out of my grasp. So thank you so much for offering to do that. I will probably hit you up on that. So yes, that's Jessica from the Femme Detail podcast. Be sure to check out that podcast. I'm sure it's great. I haven't had a chance to listen to it because I just read this email before recording this bit, but that's uh, Femme, F-E-M-M-E space D-E space T-A-L-E. Um, it's about spooky slash creepy things, I believe she said. Uh, weird and or spooky things. Um, so check that out, for sure. Uh, new friend of the podcast, Jessica, from the Femme Detail podcast. Uh, so thank you so much for writing in, Jessica. Uh, if you'd like to write in to me, you can do that at audiomorphscast at gmo.com, audiomorphscast.tumblr.com, or through my website, theapodcalypse.com. That's the apodcalypse. It's like apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. And I pay money for that, so please check it out. It's got all my um, current and hiatus projects. It's got, you know, podcasts uh, that my friends do that I think are really cool and good. Uh, check it out. It's got a lot of cool stuff, in my opinion. Um, you know, just saying. <laughs> uh, other things, uh, if you if you use Apple Podcasts and feel like leaving me a rating or review, I sure would appreciate that. I love to get those. I love to read your thoughts. Um or you can tell a friend. You can do both. You can do neither. Um, you know, no pressure, but I would appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, that's another book down. Uh, we're just going to keep chugging along. So I will try to get the Supercut uh, full book out next week. And uh, I guess other programming note is American Thanksgiving is coming up. And uh, I do typically take that off, I think, if my poor memory serves, because um, I have plans. Um <laughs> So if I don't have a, a episode out that week, sorry, 
Other than that, uh, we're just going to keep on chugging along, baby. Can't stop this train. Okay. Um, I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> See y'all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. <laughs>